0: I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 12, back in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 12, and that's going to be our text. At least a portion of this chapter is going to be our text this morning. But before we get there, have you ever noticed that most of the stories that we remember and that we take to heart quite often begin with once upon a time and they end up happily ever after. After all, Dorothy came back to Kansas. The brick house was one brick too strong for the big bad wolf. The slipper really did fit on Cinderella's shoe. And Snow White's prints finally did come. And we remember those stories and we take them to heart. But did you know that the Bible also follows the same general theme when The Bible opens, once upon a time there was a garden, and in this garden man and woman lived and everything was perfect, and then sin came in the form of a serpent. Maybe we could call him the big bad wolf. Scripture tells us it's the serpent. But then a lot of things happen through the course of the story. Hard times follow. But by the time we get to the end of the book, we find that a hero has come, and He has paid the sacrifice for our sins and we discover that God's people are going to live with Jesus forever and we will, guess what, live happily ever after. The book of Nehemiah is another example of God's redemptive and restorative uh, abilities. God likes to take things that are broken and make them new. He likes to take things that are messed up and repaired them, and, and back before COVID hit, we were going through the book of Nehemiah, and then COVID hit, and uh, when COVID, uh, we were able to get back, we went a different direction, but if you remember back when we studied, Nehemiah is about restoration. Nehemiah is in the uh, Persian, he, he's a cupbearer to the Persian king, he's in the capital city of Susa. And some of his relatives come to him and tell him how bad Jerusalem is. It's been burned, the walls have fallen down, the the people that are there, the captives that are there. uh, Remember back in 605 uh, B.C., Babylon had taken the people from Jerusalem uh, captive, and they'd been in Babylon for 70 years. Well, the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and when the Persians took over, They allowed the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to repopulate uh, that area, but it wasn't going well. And and this made Nehemiah sad. And so the king said, Nehemiah, why are you sad? And Nehemiah said, I'm sad because my home country is uh, just in desecration. It's in shambles. And I would like to go back and fix it. So Nehemiah does. He goes back to Jerusalem. He rebuilds the walls uh, with a lot of opposition, With a lot of persecution, a lot of ridicule. Matter of fact, some of the Samaritan people said, "What kind of wall are they going to build? If a fox ran on it, it would fall down." That's the kind of. It looked like a wall that I would build. Amen. Uh, That's the kind of wall I'd build. A fox would run on it and it would fall down. But in fact, we get to the end of Nehemiah. They rebuild the walls, and Nehemiah chapter 12 is a celebration, a dedication of those walls that have been built and. And that's where we are this morning in our lesson. Uh, the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, it shows Nehemiah circling the city and finding out how bad of shape the city really is in. In this chapter, he uh, goes around the city again, but this time he's leading a worship celebration for all that God has done. And, and the first half of Nehemiah 12, it lists a lot of the worship leaders and the different priests that... There's a lot of folks with big, long names. But did you know we can learn a lesson from these big, long names? The lesson that we can learn from them is God knows exactly who they are. God knows exactly what it is they were doing. And can I tell you this morning, God knows where you are. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you've done for Him. He knows what you've done for your family. He knows what you've done for your community. All those things are in the Bible for a reason. And and these names are there just to show us that God knows who they are. But when we look at the different things that God has done to bless the Jews, and then when we look at the things God has done to bless us, it really should change our lives. God's done so many wonderful things in our lives. And today we're going to look at verses 27 to 47. We're not going to read all of them. We're just going to read some of them, but we're going to see how Judah celebrated what God had done in their lives and then see how we can apply them to our lives. Because after all, y'all, God is still God, right? If they could worship God in the Old Testament for the things that he had done, how much more could we do so in our day and age under the day of grace? So first of all, uh, this morning, we'll look at the purpose of worship. The purpose of worship, that's in verses 27 to 29, and and let's look there. Nehemiah chapter 12, starting at verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the villages of the Nethinites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the field of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. When we take a look at uh, this particular section, we see that the walls are finished. God has restored not only the walls, but when the walls are rebuilt, the city itself becomes revitalized because. They felt safe. The people in the city felt safe with the walls and the gates and everything there. The whole city has come alive. What was broken has been made new. In spite of all the opposition, God has shown his mighty hand in a mighty way. What a witness to his power these walls are. They built these walls in 52 days around the city of Jerusalem. It's pretty incredible, wouldn't you? It's amazing what a group of God's people can do when God's people put their mind to work. There's a couple of times in Nehemiah where Nehemiah said the people had a mind to work. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of us today, and I, I'll throw myself in there as well, sometimes I, I have a mind to eat, maybe not so much a mind to work. And if we could all get a mind to work, it's going to tell them what we could do for God. Amen? But anyway, these folks, are they're ready to celebrate. And there's three words I want us to look at in verse 27, these three words define to us what the purpose of worship is. First of all, the word celebration. Second word is thanksgiving. And the third word is dedication. Celebration, thanksgiving, and dedication. Celebration is the primary act of worship. Did you know this morning that our worship does not begin and end with us? Our worship begins and ends with God. It's all about who God is. It's all about what God has said, and it's all about what God has done. Celebration was and is, or worship was and is, a celebration of what God is doing. Is God active in your life today? He's active in mine. I will give you a little hint here in just a minute. I'm give you. i not going to throw it on you all at once, but I'm going to ask anybody if they'd like to share how God's working in their lives today. Because y'all, when God works, it's a celebration. Amen? Our Sunday morning worship should simply be a celebration of the worship we've had individually in our lives, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And we come together as a group of Christians corporately To worship and celebrate all those things that God's doing. And that's why why we sing. That's why we praise God. It's a celebration. It's a worship celebration. And a direct outpouring of that celebration ought to be thanksgiving, right? How can we see what God is doing in our lives and not be thankful? The very fact that we woke up this morning. The very fact that we have breath. The very fact that we were able to come and meet and celebrate God's work in a building like this? Y'all, I know that we have stains in the carpet. And I know that we need to paint some walls. And I I know that we have a lot of repair that we need to do in an older building. But you know what? What a blessing it is to have our building. Brother Rudy, I, we, 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 when he was here a couple of weeks ago, we were kind of walking around looking, uh, looking at the at the building and the facilities, and he, uh, I'd said something about the carpet having a stain in it. He said, trust me, he said, anybody in the Philippines would love to have this building. He said, this will be the nicest church building in the Philippines. What a celebration. I'll have more to say about that here in just a little bit. To God be the glory great things he has done finally our celebration and thanksgiving should lead us to a time of dedication dedicating ourselves to the Lord how can we not when you think about everything God has done for us or I can't speak for you I'm going to speak for myself I can't help but look at how God has blessed me and how thankful I am for those blessings and not rededicate myself to his service amen He's been so good to us. Do we take those blessings for granted? Do we just come to church every week and just go about Monday through Friday then have Saturday and then Sunday's time to go to church day again? Or are we truly rededicating our lives? What's the purpose of worship? And it's any worship. Whether we're worshiping individually or whether we're worshiping corporately. Any worship of God that we have will be about celebrations thanksgiving, and dedication. But then verse 31, or verse 30 rather, leads us into the next idea. Nehemiah 12, verse 30. Then the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people, the gates, and the wall. First we saw the purpose of worship, now the preparation for worship. The preparation for worship. The leaders of Judah realized the importance of standing before God purified. And scripture tells us that not only did the leaders purify themselves, but they also purified the people, the gates, and the walls. In other words, they prepared themselves to worship God. Here's a question for us. How much preparation do we make before we worship God today? I know we put our clothes on, and maybe we pick up our Bible, but I know sometimes growing up, and this is not a, a, uh, well, I'll even leave my parents out of it. They're not here to defend themselves this morning, so I'll just make it when uh, Ann and I had Leandra. Sometimes some of the biggest fights we had in the morning, we're trying to get ready to go to church. Where's your clothes? Come on, we got to go. We're going to be late. We're the preacher. We have to be there. we got to go. Let's go. Hurry up. Hurry up. I can't find my shoes. Or where's my Bible? What did I do with my sermon notes? Where's this? Where's that? Oh, we're going to be late. And I'll be driving and Ann say, you better slow down. You're going to get a ticket. Just hush. I know how to drive. Here we we pull into the parking lot, try to put our hair together, walk in and say, how are you doing, brother (laughs) so-and-so? Y'all laugh at me, but don't y'all do it too? Do we prepare to go to worship? Do we prepare for something to happen? Now, sometimes I wonder if the reason a lot of folks say that they get nothing out of worship is because they don't put any preparation into worship. They don't prepare their hearts. They don't prepare themselves for the worship service. Y'all if you're not expecting God to show up you're probably not going to be disappointed. I've tried to train my mind and I'm not where I want to be but I try to train, I expect God to do something every time we come together and worship. I expect God to touch a heart. I expect God to, to show up. I expect God to show up. I pray in my prayers that the Holy Spirit will fill us because you know what? If the Holy Spirit Spirit fills us. He's going to fill this place. And when the Holy Spirit gets working. And the Holy Spirit gets rolling. Lives change. And people change. We need to learn to prepare for worship. Take some time on Sunday morning. To read some scripture. To pray. To be all about preparation for worship. The purpose of worship. The preparation for worship. Verses 31 to 43. We're not going to read all these verses. But we see the joy of worship. The joy of worship. Notice in verse 27. The different instruments. As we go back here. Now with the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. They sought out the Levites in all their places. To bring them to Jerusalem. To celebrate the dedication with gladness. Both with thanksgiving and singing. With cymbals. And streamed instruments and harps. We see in verse 31 that they had two large thanksgiving choirs. They divided them into two uh, choirs. And they surrounded the cities on the wall. Uh, Several times Nehemiah mentions the people's joy. Or he mentions the people's gladness. Now picture in your mind a city. And on the wall surrounding that city on both sides are thanksgiving choirs. Leading us in worship. Now we've all seen praise teams on a stage. And that's pretty cool. We had a really good Thanksgiving service last Sunday night at First Baptist. They had a super good praise team. That's one thing. But boy, to see the, the praise team on the walls. This is pretty good for walls that a fox would knock down, right? There they are. They're celebrating God. They're worshiping God. Imagine the singing, the playing, the shouting, the worshiping. And look at the end of verse 42. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far off. They sang loudly. Verse 43 says the people rejoiced. You notice that it says at the end of the verse... It doesn't say that the cymbals of the stringed instruments or the harps could be heard a long ways off. It says their joy could be heard a long ways off. I've got a question for us this morning. How long since the joy of our worship here at Old New Hope Baptist Church could be heard far off? We try to turn it down so we don't disturb the neighbors, right? I remember a revival I was doing leading music for one time. It was right across the street from a big, the southern term for it's beer joint. Y'all know what a beer joint is, right? Y'all, are, y'all are from the south too, most of you. Well, they had their doors open, and you could hear them partying and having a big time in the church building. And the guy that was leading the revival, he said, "You know what?" <coughs> He said, it's a crying shame that unsaved earthly people are having more fun doing what they do than what we're having here. They're out celebrating us. And he had a point, right? Are we joyful in our worship? Aren't you thankful that Scripture doesn't say, sing perfectly before the Lord? You know what Scripture says? Scripture says, make a joyful noise. How do I make... Don't know about you, but I can make noise now. I can make a joyful noise. You know what we're called to do. Have you ever been around someone that's singing at the top of their lungs? They don't care who's listening, but they can't carry a tune in a bucket. But they are just singing. It's the joy that's there, right? That's the way we need to sing. God never says we have to sing in tune. Thank goodness he doesn't say that, right? God doesn't say every note on the piano has to be perfect. God calls us to worship with joy. Now, I believe our worship ought to be the best we can make it be, amen? That's a whole different lesson. We should always give God our best. But we need to realize the focus isn't on the musical technique. Crazy thing, when I was a music minister, we'd always do an Easter cantata and a Christmas cantata. And I don't know how many times leading up to that. I remember one cantata we were going to do on a Sunday night. On Saturday, we had a... Everybody had been sick. It had been kind of like... It wasn't COVID, but everybody had the flu, and everybody had been sick. And so a lot of people had missed a lot of practices, and... uh, so we had an extra Saturday practice and every one of the soloists were sick. And I just finally said, Lord, if this is, this is going to happen, it's going to have to be you. That Sunday night, everybody showed up. Everybody sang. The, the cantata came off without a hitch. Because God, God showed up. The worship's all about turning them over, turning it all over to him. And it, we, those of us who like music, if we're not careful sometimes, we will say, well, this wasn't quite right or that wasn't quite right or this note was, wasn't on key or, or this this section wasn't here and the altos were this and the bass were that. It's not all about that. As a music minister, it was my job to make our music ensembles be the best they could be. But my biggest job was to prepare our hearts to lead our congregation into God's presence. When we lead singing this morning, our our music leaders, our main job is to get us in a frame of mind to worship God. Do we realize that the audience of our worship is not us? We have a one-person audience. That audience is God. Too many preachers, too many music folks Think that their audience is right out here. Now, I hope the word, the songs that we sing, I hope that the message that's given, I hope it changes your heart. But it's not because of the music, it's not because of my oratory skills, it's the Word of God. Joy, having joy in our worship. Worship was never meant to be dull. And boring. Now we've made it that way. What we have done, we have turned it into a reverent, a lot of times we've turned worship into a reverent funeral dirge. Y'all ever been to a funeral where it just, and and I've really seen this especially in unsaved people. Everybody just crying and just crying and uh, wailing and just sad. And they just play slow, sad songs. And unfortunately, that's the way our worship time is. Now, usually people aren't crying in our worship. But we're not singing with any enthusiasm. We're, we don't act like we're glad to be here. Y'all, we have our masks off now, so I can see your face. <laughs> you can see my face, right? Are we here with joy? Worship should be a time of celebration. Worship should be a time of dedication. Worship should be a time of... Joy. I asked a preacher friend of mine how it was going at his church. He said, well, a lot of times he feels like he's a cheerleader trying to lead cheers in a graveyard. <laughs> you ever try to lead cheers in a graveyard? as a challenge. But that's that's the way we are. And somebody says, well, I, I want to be reverent. But you know, you, and we ought to be reverent. We're called to, to have, do everything decently and in order. I'm not talking about doing flips up the aisle way. But you know what? If you feel led by God to raise your hand, raise your hands. If you feel raised, you feel called by God to clap your hands, clap your hands. Worship God. Because I'll let you in on a little secret. Y'all ready? Your worship is between you and God. <laughs> I'm gonna say that again. Your worship is between your, you and God. I understand we're doing it corporately, but bring joy back to our worship. And I think that often our worship lacks joy because we've forgotten that worship is a celebration. Our worship just seems like it doesn't bring the response out of us that it did, these folks in Nehemiah's day. They were so proud to have those walls built and have God come through for them. What has God come through for you that you just need to go celebrate? What's God doing in your life where you just need to celebrate? And if you can't think of anything, can I encourage you to look closer? Can I encourage you to ask the Lord for help with that? Because God is active in our life. And and finally, the response of worship. Look at the attitude that this worship brought these folks. First we had the purpose of worship, then the preparation for worship, the joy of worship, and now the response of worship. Verses 44 to 47, it's crazy. These people became tithers. These people celebrated what God had done and they started supporting the Levites and the priests and they just brought their stuff to the storehouses of God. The celebration and worship of God's goodness toward them led them to an attitude of thanksgiving and a decision to become givers. And, and did not, not only did they promise to tithe, they promised to take care of the priests, the worship leaders, and the other people doing God's work. Their worship led them to thanksgiving. Their worship gave, led them to an attitude of thanksgiving. Too many times our worship leads us to shonies. amen? Y'all will get that in a minute. Where does our worship take us? Where does our worship lead us? My friends, a true worship celebration will lead us to have an attitude of gratitude. And we hear that phrase all the time, and it is kind of a cheesy phrase. But is, isn't that what our attitude should be? Shouldn't we be grateful, people? I fear that as a whole, God's church in America is not very thankful. In fact, quite often the opposite is true. We tend to make it all about us, and we feel that because we've been blessed, we're old. Do we realize that God doesn't owe us anything? I'm going to repeat that. Do we realize that God doesn't owe us anything? He gave us his son on the cross. He's already given us everything. If God never blessed me with one more physical blessing, I would have plenty. One of the little towns we drove through yesterday We came through, and a lot of the businesses were boarded up. And you could tell it was the section of town we were in was just a really poor section of town. And I'm, I'm thinking how blessed we have been that we're not all living in poverty. My grandfather told me that when he was young, the only Christmas present he got one Christmas was an orange. And he's glad to get it. Today, if we gave our kids an orange, they'd probably take it and throw it through the window, trying to get our attention to give us something else, right? But you know what? I can't blame the young people of this generation because it's our generation that's taught them that. It's our generation that has taught them to be grateful because you know what? I had it a lot easier than my parents had it. And they had it easier than their parents had it. And as parents, we want our children to have it better than we did. But sometimes I wonder if we don't do them a disservice. If we don't teach them that no one owes us anything. That if you want something, you have to go work for it. If our worship ends and begins with a heart of gratitude, you know what? If we're truly grateful and thankful, nobody's going to care what song we sing. Right? Nobody's going to care what so-and-so wore to the church. Nobody's going to care what color the carpet is. Nobody's going to worry about the stain in the carpet. Because we're grateful just to be here. We're grateful just to be able to come and talk to the Lord and celebrate with the Lord. If we could learn to develop an attitude of thankfulness, we would find our lives so much fuller, and so much richer. Very quickly, what can we learn from the worship from Nehemiah's church? It's not exactly a church, but the word church means a group of called out people, so that's what they were. They had called themselves out to come worship God. First of all, we can learn about the true purpose of worship. Worship is not about music or drama or not even preaching. Worship begins and ends with God and His awesomeness and His goodness. Any other reason why we come to church just won't get it done. Our worship to God will never be pleasing till we rise above what what everybody else thinks, till we rise above what everybody else is doing, and we say, God, I just celebrate you for what you've done in my life, and just. Turn loose and let it go. Celebrate. And you know what? That attitude's contagious. Because there are folks that are desperate to have something to celebrate. We just need reminding. Second, our worship should be heartfelt. We truly should prepare and purify ourselves for the worship experience. I know we're never going to be perfect. I'm not talking about that. But we ought to be psyched up when we come to God's house to worship, to celebrate. We we ought to be on the forefront of our mind, everything God has done, everything God has has done for us this past week. We should celebrate it then and we should celebrate it now. Our worship ought to come from the heart. Our worship ought to be full of joy. When's the last time you worshipped joyfully? Just let yourself go and worship God. People ought to hear our joy all the way to the interstate. Amen? Amen. Being full of joy. And finally, our worship should produce a heart and an attitude of thanksgiving. While every preacher wants everybody to like his sermon, while every worship leader wants everybody to enjoy the music, we should never leave a worship time thinking, wow, that preacher was great or that music was awesome. We should leave feeling, wow, my God is awesome. What a mighty God we serve. God loved me enough to die for me. That is worthy of celebration, amen? Amen. That ought to leave us to a thankful attitude. Now, as we wrap this up this morning, why did you come today? <coughs> Is this some you come on Sunday? Maybe your mama made you. I'm the preacher, I had to come, right? I'm joking. But why did you come? People come for a variety of reasons the reason why we should be here this morning is to celebrate God. That's the only reason that's good enough, to celebrate and worship God. That's why we're here. That's why we came. And you know what? Part of what us coming together today does, it revs us up, it pumps us up, it gets us ready to go through those doors and face our week. Because you know what? We got a week coming and it's tough. It's hard. At this time of year, we're busy. From Thanksgiving to the, through the New Year is probably the busiest time on most people's schedules. We hustle, we bustle, we fight crowds, we get everything, especially you ladies. Sunday worship ought to be your booster shot. That gives you the joy to leave here and say, what a great God we serve. And give you the strength to get through to next Sunday. We filled up our car when we went to Indiana. And that tank of gas got us some pretty good ways. But you know what? We got to the point where the low fuel light came up. We needed some more gas. Your worship and celebration today will only get you so far. But you know what it will do? If you'll let it, it will get you through to next week. And you can come back in, and you can fill up again. Somebody say, Well, I'm a Christian, I don't have to go to church. You can be married, but you don't have you don't have to go home either. But your relationship's gonna suffer, right? It's not gonna be built up. The very people that say, Well, I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. When I ask them, how's your relationship with God? When you get to probing you'll find out it's not where they would like it to be. Coming to church doesn't make us any more spiritual. It doesn't make us any more blessed. It doesn't make us any more. That stuff we was talking about in Sunday school this morning, we're we're glued to the head. That's what saves us, amen? It doesn't make us more holy. But I'll tell you what it does do. It gives us an attitude adjustment when worship's what it ought to be. The fellowship we have, the joy, the singing. And now the last question I have for you is where do you stand before God? Are you in fellowship with Him? Or do you need to make some adjustments in your life? And I don't know what adjustments you need to make. Only the Holy Spirit can tell you that. But during this invitation time, I'm going to pray for you that the Holy Spirit would convict you, would we'll peel back your heart and reveal to you what you need to do next to get close to him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us and thank you for giving us this example of worship from the book of Nehemiah. And I just pray this morning that you would examine all of our hearts and, and just peel back the layers of our heart like we would peel back an onion and just get to the innermost parts of our of our heart, those those parts of our heart that where we think and feel and act and and reveal it to yourself and then reveal to you what we need to change to make ourselves more like you. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning that needs to do business with you, that they would do so during this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.